Welcome to Ethics Today. Uh, this is a program dedicated to the art of listening, to taking a step back and listening to somebody who can give us an informed perspective on some key issue that is going on in our world today. Um, today's guest is Megan Barker, who is the Bristol Bay organizer for Trout Unlimited. She lives in Anchorage, Alaska, and she's been a key person in Trout Unlimited's effort to push back against the proposed pebble mine. And before we get into the pebble mine and why this is why this is a controversial project, um, Megan, could you just tell us a little bit about why Bristol Bay is such an important place and why people in the Midwest who might be listening to this program should even care about what goes on in this remote area in Alaska? Absolutely. Um, thank you first for, for having me. What a treat to be able to connect with uh, folks in the Midwest. Uh, and then also I'll just share that uh, I actually got my start uh, in fishing in the Driftless region. Um, I went to college in Decorah at Luther. So it's nice to be able to, re yeah, it's nice to be able to reconnect. Yeah, you're familiar um, with all these streams around here then. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, fly, fly fishing is where I got my, or Luther's where I got my start in fly fishing. And I agree, I think there are lots of um, connections between really incredible fisheries. But um, to answer your question, you know, why Bristol Bay and why is this a place of, of national and really global importance? Um, the region of Southwest Alaska, about the size of the state of Ohio, is uh, incredibly important when it comes to our global sockeye salmon uh, fishery. Uh, and so over 50% of the world's sockeye salmon comes from Bristol Bay alone, uh, but it's also home to uh, the other four species of Pacific salmon. Uh, and with that come uh, huge uh, levels of biodiversity um, that translate to very robust fish-based economies uh, and thriving cultures uh, that have carried on for generations. And so um, Bristol Bay, you know, it, it's kind of, you can say all those things and it, from that we get that it's a place of, of importance, but it's another thing to go and visit. And one of the best, I think, descriptors is Bristol Bay is a place where the streams run red with, with salmon uh, in the summertime and places like that don't exist anywhere else on the planet. Uh, and so Again, we go back to this is one of the last wild sockeye salmon strongholds we have, and uh, that's why Trout Limited and, and others have come out and become um, huge advocates for making sure that proposals like the Pebble Mine uh, don't ruin it. Well, it, so if I'm you know a shopper here in the Midwest and I go to my grocery store and, and look for wild Alaskan salmon, which I, actually, probably about the only wild salmon I can find is probably going to be wild Alaskan salmon. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And whenever it has that label, a, a wild Alaska sockeye salmon, I pretty much guarantee you it's coming from Bristol Bay. Okay. So mm -hmm. this is it, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, so salmon, salmon are important. Are, how are they, why are they so, why are salmon so key? to this ecosystem in, in that area? Yeah, I think um, salmon are really the, the bedrock that connects all the pieces. So they support everything from the tiniest microorganisms in the stream bed, all the way up to the massive brown bears that are just as iconic as the salmon themselves. And, um, you know, that's just kind of putting it in context with the, the ecological purposes and the ecological place that salmon have 
in the region, but also we talk about a ro an incredibly robust commercial fishery. Uh, we talk about an incredibly robust uh, recreational fishery and tourism industry that has grown a lot in recent years and will continue to grow if, if the salmon, if the resource is sustained. Um, and then additionally, like I said, uh, a very strong and, and vibrant subsistence culture and tradition of Alaska natives that has thrived for thousands of years. So salmon really, um, they're not only important ecologically and you know have their purpose there, but uh, they've become part of the, the human element of the communities that, that live and work in the region. So I know there's there's been opposition for a long time to, to Pebble Mine, this proposed project. So uh, what could you first of all describe Pebble Mine, what, what the proposal is? And then secondly, like who are, who are the people and organizations that are opposed to this project? Certainly. Um, so to begin with, what is Pebble? I get that while I live and breathe it and while a lot of folks at Trout Unlimited live and breathe it, it's not something that everyone's familiar with. But most simply put, it is the proposal to build the largest open pit copper and gold mine in North America, right in the headwaters of Bristol Bay in Southwest Alaska. And uh, it's a proposal put forward by Northern Dynasty Minerals, which is a Canadian mining company. And uh, the deposit, the pebble deposit, um, was discovered in the late 1980s, uh, has about 11 billion tons of um, mineable ore uh, that could be developed. And uh, with that comes a significant amount of money that, that Northern Dynasty Minerals uh, is, is interested in uncovering. And, you know, from the get-go, I think, Actually, I know that there there was a huge, um, you know, push on the the local people in Bristol Bay um, to provide them with what at first seemed like a great, you know, job pro source of job prospects and source of, of revenue for small communities. But as the proposal, and we're talking, this is about ten years ago when it when it first started to become into conversation. As elements of the proposal were uncovered local people saw the implications that it would have um, that were then backed up by science and the Bristol Bay watershed assessment um, by the EPA, uh, all which showed that a mine of any size, of any scale in Bristol Bay would have a negative impact on the fishery. And then since, since then, you have three user groups. Um, again, the people that, that are most dependent on a healthy fishery um, for their jobs, their livelihoods, and their cultures who have come out opposing the mine. So, um, we talk about the three legs of the stool. Uh, you have your, your tribal partners, you have your commercial fishermen, and you have your recreational fishermen and recreational anglers. Um, Trout Unlimited, uh, we are proud to say that we've been in this fight from, from the beginning when, when local people came to us and said, hey, have you heard about what's going on and what's being talked about is proposed in Bristol Bay? Uh, and we stood next to and behind the tribe, the local tribal partners who were very outspoken from the beginning, who've said they do not want Pebble. And um, so through that, we work with uh, the United Tribes of Bristol Bay, which is a, a local based organization representing uh, the, uh, the tribes that uh, live in Bristol Bay. And then as well, some of the other uh, native organizations like Bristol Bay Native Corporation, Bristol Bay Native Association, uh, and some of the local uh, tribal or, or tribal governments as well. And then uh, while Trout Unlimited uh, brings in the recreational fishing and, and the tourism uh, representation, we also work with commercial fishermen. So the organization Commercial Fishermen for Bristol Bay 
as well as the Bristol Bay Regional Seafood Development Association. Uh, all together, these organizations have come under the banner of, of Save Bristol Bay. Uh, you know, these groups carry a lot of um, different viewpoints and different backgrounds, but the fact that they've been able to put those aside um, to oppose Pebble has been a unique show of, of support for the region and opposition to this project. Uh, one of the reasons I find this so interesting is that it's the, the opposition to Pebble Mine doesn't seem to be just kind of the usual environmental groups. There's also a lot of hunting and fishing groups, right, uh, that, are, that are opposing this. Uh, so, so it cuts across party lines. It's not, a, it's not a easy political disagreement to kind of figure out. And it's also a, an issue that cuts across national lines because here Northern Dynasty is a Canadian company, right, which um, proposing a, a mine in Alaska. And my understanding is that um, Canadian companies, mining companies have different liability laws than, for example, uh, companies from some other countries. So mm -hmm. you, could you speak to that at all? I mean, if say if, if the mine were to get built and there were a leak um, of, of, of some kinds of toxins or pollutants into the watershed in some way, what, what kind of resources are, would there be for cleaning it up or is, is that even possible? Um, so, so I'm going to address your question in two parts, if that's okay, because I think yep. it hits on, on two separate really important things. Uh, one is the bipartisan nature of this campaign, and you're right, this isn't a typical environmental issue. One of the things that I love so much about this campaign is that it brings people from different backgrounds together. And um, my absolute favorite picture I've ever taken was uh, before I lived in Ingridge, I lived in Homer, which is at the end of the Kenai Peninsula. And, in the parking lot, there was uh, a, a truck, and on the bumper, there was a, a Make America Great Again sticker, and then on the other side, a No Pebble Mine sticker. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes to show the testament of Alaskans um, that we are proud of our natural resource development, and it is what has built our state, um, but we also know when, when certain resources shouldn't be risked and shouldn't be uh, messed up, frankly, because that's what we know exactly what would happen if we were to let Pebble go through. And so, again, I think that's a really good place for more moderate and conservative, uh, especially hunters and anglers can come into this fight and very much stand by the campaign to say to our elected leaders and officials, hey, this is a place that, that people, no matter of your background, no matter where you come from or what you do, we have a stake in Bristol Bay. And it has national importance and global importance, and, and we ought to conserve that. Uh, so, so that's the first thing I'll say about um, the wide-reaching impacts of our community and who we've been able to bring in uh, to this fight. So then we'll shift into the second component of that is, you know, a, a Canadian mining company and what are the implications of that. So Northern Dynasty Minerals, they're headquartered in Vancouver, but over the course of um, the past decade in the development of the proposal to build Pebble, uh, they've had additional mining companies that have invested in the project and a mix of uh, foreign uh, additional mining companies. However, in the last five years, every single one of those investors have walked away from their project. Um, however, before they, they all came together to form the Pebble Limited Partnership, which 
is an organization licensed in the United States. So that's kind of how they can get it. It's basically like a shell company. They can get around um, that Canadian like designation basically. And so, however, now since all those in, investors are gone, Northern Dynasty Minerals is the Pebble Limited Partnership. So you can use those interchangeably. Uh, however, in our country, um, Pebble Limited Partnership or Northern Dynasty, they still have to follow the environmental laws that we have in this country. And so right now they are going through the Clean Water Act 404, or the Clean Water Act, um, excuse me, the NEPA permitting process through the Clean Water Act. Uh, and through that, uh, they've had to share a lot of their plans on what they proposed to do in the development of, of Pebble, including how they would mitigate risk and including how they would respond to um, spills or how they would make up for the damage. And what we have found in the draft environmental impact statement, that's the document that we have, the public has so far seen, um, is that Pebble has not done their job in not only uh, mitigating and planning for risk, but the Army Corps of Engineers, who is the uh, agency tasked with reviewing that permit application, they are kind of, they are turning a blind eye to those holes and letting a lot of these um, inconsistencies and these places where Pebble should be evaluating risk, they're letting that slide. And so that brings, you know, while the project itself is problematic for Bristol Bay and would cause damage, the process in which the project is being analyzed is also wholly un inadequate and, and is not doing its job to prevent things like what would happen if there was a spill and, and who would respond and, and who's responsible. Um, so while they still are accountable to the environmental laws in the United States, um, there's a lot less stake for them to be doing things the right way and also making this a community-based project, which is what they like to tout and like to say they do, but then they don't turn around and reflect that in their plans thus far. So, so this has been part, I know, part of the local opposition to this is that, uh, it, first of all, it's, it's hard to know what the project is. You get, you, it gets released like through these uh, steps of the review process, right? To see exactly what the plans are and the analysis. Yeah, and, yep. And so when Pebble applied for their permit, um, their, their most important federal permit that was back in December of 2017, um, they had to submit their, their project proposal to the Army Corps of Engineers. And um, again, that, that, pro or that permit review process would normally take many, many years, like six to seven plus years to, to go through. But the Army Corps for Pebble has laid out a fast track permitting process to be done in two to three years before November of 2020. And so uh, again, th what we're seeing through that is a rush process where holes are not being filled, inconsistencies are not being addressed, science isn't being fully included in, in these plans. And, um, you know, through, through that, uh, excuse me, I lost my train of thought. Um, those plans aren't being addressed. And so when you have, um, the core not fulfilling those. Um, I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? I just well, got a little yeah, sidetracked. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. This is because this is so complex, and we're trying to we're trying to catch people up on a, a lot of detail in a very short yeah. period of time, right? Yes. Yes. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm just curious about the like. I guess that just let us know about the status of the review process. So you were saying how it's it's 
it's been going through what you consider to be a rush process. Yes. Okay, I caught back up. Now I know where I'm at again. Sorry, <laughs> just had to, to come back a little bit. Um, so yeah, so we've had this rush process and through that we've seen the Pebble project change multiple times throughout the permit review process. And so the public was invited to weigh in after the draft environmental impact statement was published last year. And we had a public comment period where people nationwide could review and point out a lot of the inconsistencies and, and, and issues um, that we, we raised, but also agencies like the Department of the Interior, the EPA, the state of Alaska, had all found with that document. And so now the Army Corps is supposedly going back and reviewing and adding and updating the draft EIS before a final comes out. However, um, since that has happened, the project itself has changed multiple times. So the public is not being, has not given feedback and is not being allowed to give feedback on what is currently being evaluated and proposed by the Corps. And down to the fact that two weeks ago, the Corps announced that they were going to change their transportation corridor, uh, basically getting rid of a component of the project that would have included an ice-breaking ferry across Iliamna Lake uh, to transport materials. They're now saying that they're going to get rid of that altogether and instill, instead build uh, a road corridor around the north end of the lake. Those are major project components that have changed that the public is not being uh, able to weigh in on and, and give feedback on. So. And we're expecting a, a final environmental impact statement any day now. June 2020 is when they've, when they've said. So sometime this month. Yep. And so the public was able to give feedback on a draft review, mm -hmm. but, but the final review isn't based on that draft anymore. That's the problem, right? So the, yeah. so, so what happens then when, when that final plan gets submitted? Who does that go to? So it doesn't necessarily go to anyone. It's just, it's put on the record. And it's important because a record of decision on if Pebble is going to get their most important federal permit, that, that decision is going to be based on what the final environmental impact statement says. And so that's why it's so important that the Army Corps go in and address every single inconsistency and hole and, and lacking that everyone has pointed out. And, um, it's also important that this is a place where our elected officials while they've in Alaska, while they've said very little uh, on this and they have tried to stand on the sidelines and and have promoted the permitting process. Um, last fall, Senator Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, she said that if the core does not include and does not address every single one of the issues that the agencies like the Department of the Interior and like the state of Alaska and like the EPA had pointed out, uh, in their final EIS, they should not be able to issue a permit. And so it gives us something to go back to our elected leaders and say, hey, look, the Army Corps is not doing their job and you need to hold them accountable and you need to slow this process down or find a way to stop it. So again, we're coming into a very critical junction of, of knowing if Pebble is going to get this most important federal permit or not. Well, so that's, that's really, I guess that's really quick. I mean, we, um, uh, and probably we went into more detail than a lot of people want to hear, but still it's- Yeah, sorry, get in the weeds really fast. <laughs> and I've been following this for the last 12 years and there's news uh, constantly and people like you who are writing about this or updating people who are in Trout Unlimited and other conservation environmental organizations about what's going on. And there's, there's new steps and there's developments in this 
process every month um, mm -hmm. uh, on a regular basis. Um, and so that's one thing, the, like the process. And it's, I, it's really important to pay attention to that. And, you know, in a democracy, we want to make sure those processes are both fair and transparent. Um, but the other thing is just the consequences of, of this thing, because um, what they're talking about is probably the largest gold and copper reserves in the world, right? Of mm -hmm. many, and, um, and if anybody who has a smartphone, for example, um, I mean, am I hypocrite? There you are. Am I hypocritical in, first of all, owning a smartphone, which relies on these precious metals, and then saying, but I also don't want mining to take place in this, in that particular place because I love to fish and I like to eat salmon and I like those things. And I want to make that judgment for everybody. Is, is that a hypocritical stance? You know, no, it's not. And this is an argument that we hear from the, the pebble proponents uh, a lot of the time is they make it really clear. And it's very true. No one's arguing that we need copper and gold to move forward into the future. And if we want to have a green economy, um, we're going to need more copper in order to make that happen. Again, no one is arguing with that. However, um, we still hold very strongly that there are places that you can go and get copper and gold and you can mine for that without putting a billion dollar fishing in economy, 14,000 American jobs and a robust fish-based culture and tradition at risk. And again, where I'm proud to work for Trout and Lemon and proud to work on this campaign is that we are not just a group of greeny environmentalists going around and saying, don't do that mine and you can't do that mine and, and this, you know, can't do all these things. We've never said that. We've, Pebble is the only mine in the state of Alaska that we have opposed, um, that Trout Unlimited has, has opposed. We even work with our partners up at Fort Knox Gold Mine near Fairbanks on some of our other community fishing partners. Again, we are not saying no. However, when it comes to Bristol Bay, it, building Pebble here is the wrong mine in the wrong place. And uh, we don't find it hypocritical to say that there's a, there's a smart way to do this and, and Pebble in Bristol Bay is not the way to do that. And, and that's really the, I think from everything I've read and, and seen, it's really the kind of the, the, the really delicate ecosystem there and also mm -hmm. the position of the mind. So that um, I know that the opponents of it are, are virtually certain this is so hard, you know, predicting what would happen if the mine were to go in, because of course, Northern Dynasty is saying they're, they're able to design it using new technology where there won't be any leakage and damage to the environment. And mm -hmm. um, others reviewing this are saying, well, some kind of damage is virtually certain in, yep. in that particular setting. And that's, and so then it comes down to who you, who do you trust? Right? Yeah. And, and part of that trust comes down to what are you willing to risk? Uh, again, you know, when you look at, at the company who's saying these things, so Northern Dynasty Minerals, they're a junior mining company who they might say they have the technology to do this and do it safely, but it's never been tested on a mine size that's proposed of this scale. Uh, and it's never, the size have, has never been proposed and tested in a place as unique and critical and as risky as Bristol Bay. And so when you combine all those factors together, it's a big game of risk. And what are you willing to, 
to put in potential harm's way uh, for the potential gain of it. And again, this is where Alaskans have said, there are places that we're willing to do this. Um, again, look at our strong history of, of being an extraction state between oil and gas and other hard rock mining. But when it comes to Bristol Bay, we've said no. And so, uh, you know, I think having to weigh that and, and who do you trust? Um, I tend to look at history and history repeats itself. I mean, no, there are mining uh, uh, experts who, you know, have worked on permitting before, who have seen this in mines across the globe. There's, a, there's always some kind of failure. And they've said it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and with that kind of of uncertainty it's what we've all said no we're not doing this here not when we have so much to risk well i think it was uh probably 12 years ago the movie red gold came out that was a documentary about about this and uh we've shown it a couple times in lacrosse and uh i think i was just noticing on the tu website it's available for streaming now to anybody right is that uh, I know it was at the beginning of, of quarantine, but they might have taken it down so far. I know you can purchase it um, purchase online. It. Mm -hmm. And I think it was on some of the uh, streaming providers, like either like Amazon or Netflix. Yep. Or like that, right? yep. I think I believe it was on Amazon Prime. So that movie was Red Gold, which I thought did a pretty good job of laying out the what I what I saw as kind of the, the terms of the environmental ethical debate. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a new movie just coming out called The Wild. And that's mm -hmm. that's how I first met you. We were talking by email. Um, you were you were kind of organizing a tour around the country and you were gonna be here in the Midwest, I think in April. Um, but yeah. that got postponed because of the pandemic. So mm -hmm. uh, tell us the status of that new movie that's that's about Bristol Bay. Yeah, absolutely. So I will first say that Red Gold is I would also encourage people to watch that. It's still relevant even 10, 12 years ago uh, or to, from when it was produced. It really does a great job of capturing the people and, and the crux of the issue and, and why people in Bristol Bay are so opposed to, to Pebble. But then uh, we've recently had, had the work of Mark Titus, who's a Seattle-based filmmaker um, with strong ties to Alaska and, and the Bristol Bay uh, salmon and fishing community up here. Uh, he produced the movie The Wild and it uh, was premiered about a year ago uh, at the Seattle International Film Festival. And uh, Mark and his team do a fabulous job of, of going into Bristol Bay and looking at all the different user groups and talking to people on the ground and asking them what the importance of salmon is to them. And then going the next step as to ask what, what are we doing to make sure that what we love continues? And the, the salmon is what we love. And it's a really great, uh, a really creative and really beautiful way of looking at Bristol Bay and how communities um, come together to save what we love. And so uh, I, I feel for, for Mark, uh, the director and his team, because we were, we were gonna support this incredible film tour that was, was supposed to, um, drive a lot of new supporters to the campaign and get them really fired up, especially in a critical time right now with the permitting process. Um, but as you said, COVID-19 um, has not allowed that. But again, Mark and his team have creatively come up with ways for to do digital screenings. So uh, the best thing to do, and I can provide you, Rick, with, with the links to share, is to follow the wild film 
on a, a variety of social media channels. Uh, and they have been doing slow rollouts of, of digital screenings of the film. So um, doing it um, in certain communities um, and making it really easy for folks to watch and then also to tune into the panel discussions that are happening afterward. Um, mm -hmm. The Wild does a really great job of, of telling those stories and, and gets us pretty far up in the permitting process. Um, but like we said before, there's so much happening and this truly does change on a day-to-day, -day, uh, week, week by week basis. And so uh, those panel discussions afterward are a great way of kind of connecting all the dots and making sure people have the latest information of what's going on. Okay, that's great. And so this, this digital screening, this will reach, it's coming to the West Coast soon in the next few days, right? And then- Yeah, so on, on Friday, on Friday, Mark and his team are doing uh, digital screenings, both for the Pacific Northwest and Washington, D.C. And um, they're, they're rolling it out slowly, so we don't have like a full schedule uh, of, of the next communities that will get it. But again, if you follow along and, and stay tuned, not only does the Save Bristol Bay campaign share when those, those films are coming to communi digital communities near you, um, but we all, also you can follow along with, with their information and get the update then. Well, I'll get, I'll get those links from you so people can know how to follow it and I'll just add them in right into the description of this program. So perfect. We will have perfect. that. All right. Thank you so much, Megan. Yeah. Thank you. And if anyone has um, any further questions or wants to learn more, I would just highly recommend checking out savebristolbay.org. Uh, that's our website that Trout Limited manages. And uh, we do, a, a, I think we do a pretty decent job of, of sharing updates when they come. And it's a great place to go and get some more background and also just be inspired by Bristol Bay and get lost in some of the incredible footage that we've been able to capture of what it's like uh, in Southwest Alaska. I like the footage, but also the writing that you've been doing on that, on that page. Uh, I've been following the articles you were writing and, and uh, you do a great job of keeping people updated but they're also beautiful evocations of the of, of life there in Alaska, which is wonderful. So thank you Good. for that. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. And I'm glad to know that it's helpful in, in your understanding of what's going on up here. Okay, take care. Yeah, thanks, Rick.